not easy getting off an aeroplane and happening to, uh, to run a service and a minister. Um, from my personal experience, done a few times. Hey, listen, Alpha is starting on the 20th of September, which is a Wednesday, and it, it'll probably run for about seven consecutive Wednesdays. It's going to be at 7 p.m. Um, right here in the cafe. And so if you've never experienced Alpha, so you've never actually done Alpha, I'm personally inviting you to sign up today. So John and Linda, actually John and Linda are sitting here. Why don't you stand up so everyone can see you? John doesn't need to always stand up. He's so tall. But that's it. Well done, Linda. Yeah, give them a big hand. They, uh, they do an incredible job. Leading Alpha is um, interesting because you get different people on the spectrum of exploring faith and spirituality. So some people have a relationship with God. Some people that come to Alpha have no relationship with God or even are antagonistic about the idea. But the way Alpha works is you sit together, you have a meal, and you build some new friendships over dinner. So it starts with dinner. And then they watch a short video clip that discusses one of the elements of life from the Christian faith perspective. So we talk about who is Jesus? Why did Jesus die? Um, We talk about the Holy Spirit. We talk about how to make the most of the rest of your life. And after you watch one of those short videos, you then sit in a small group and have an open conversation where you can ask your questions about faith, about God. And it's, it's unlike any other small group you could ever experience because it's really not a Christian small group. It's actually a safe place where there's no judgment. Every opinion, we, we want to hear everyone's thoughts about the subject that we're talking about. And you know what? When people have the opportunity to express their ideas and consider the meaning of their life, God does some incredible things. So again, let me say this. If you've never personally done Alpha, I'm inviting you to come along. You've got a brochure on your way in. If you didn't, they're on the stand out there in the foyer. Also, invite your friend. It doesn't matter whether they say yes or no. You don't have to invite them to get a yes. But if you feel God prompt you to actually invite them, just simply say, look, we've got this thing called Alpha where we talk about the big questions of life like faith and meaning. You get a free meal. Would you like to come along with me? That's all you have to say. Don't sell them the gospel. Don't Bible bash them or preach at them. Just invite them to the first night and let God do the rest because that's usually what happens. I'm going to show you a short clip just to give you an idea about what Elf is about. You can also also go to our website, so unihillchurch.com.au, and it's got an Alpha page that links to different video clips so people can see what Elf is like. But have a look at the screen. Thanks, Jackie. If you've ever wondered if there's more, you're not alone in that. We all explore, every day, in small ways and big. We find ourselves, reinvent ourselves, define ourselves, publish our lives. We find ways to stand out and ways to blend in. We meet people that remind us of us and people that remind us of who we want to be and people that just make the journey that much more fun. We connect and share. We learn from each other and grow together. We celebrate and mourn side by side. We push our limits, challenge ourselves, fall down and get back up again. Our days are long and our nights get short. We put in the hours in the hope of building something that lasts. And at the end of the day, find joy in the fleeting things. 
We want to squeeze all the life out of life and hit pause on moments we wish could last. Put simply, we want to live and along the way discover all we can, experience more, and find out who we really are. For all our searching, it's rare to find time to think and talk about the big questions of life, about faith and reason and God and meaning. But exploring is good. We're built for it. So that starts on the 20th of September and everybody's welcome to come. It's free to actually come along. There's no cost to, to come to Alpha whatsoever. Now, it wouldn't be Father's Day without a dad's joke. Are you ready? Yes. We were going to film some. We never got around to do it, do we, Charles? We talked about filming some dad jokes. But here we go. I went to Coles this morning and I had to swap my sultanas for some raisins and I couldn't believe the current exchange rate. Come on. Hey, come on. Give me some loving. My, my children will tell you I'm the king of dad jokes, right? They don't like it. Did you hear about the hungry clock? He went back for seconds. <laughs> Lockie's laughing at my dad jokes. That's incredible. Uh, what do you call a criminal who's going down the stairs? Con descending. And the best award for the neckwear goes to, oh, look, it's a tie. No, it's okay. I know it's early in the morning, but there are dad jokes everywhere. And I'm sure, how many, how many dads here are good at dad jokes? Come on, be honest. Charles is very good. Where's Ian Fish? Ian Fish is probably the king of dad jokes in our office, actually. Ian always, he walks into my office during the week and goes, hey, Greg, did you hear? And I know a dad joke's coming. As soon as that phrase comes, did you hear? Listen, happy Father's Day to everybody. Um, we've all got a dad or had a dad, and I'm aware that on Father's Day, there's a whole range of emotions that take place for all of us. Um, sometimes you're close to your dad, you had a great relationship with your father, and other times your relationship was probably tenuous. I don't know whether, uh, how would you gauge your relationship with your dad? Um, sometimes you don't know your dad. It's interesting, I, I meet people that live in the same house as their father. So I've got a couple of very close friends that obviously lived at home with their dad, but they didn't really know their dad because their dad didn't really give them much, didn't really communicate, um, express uh, affection or love. Um, some, some dads are quite aggressive or angry, and so that contained how we feel today. Maybe you've recently uh, lost your father, he's passed away, um, unfortunately, Sue and I had to go to a funeral on Thursday with a, a colleague of mine who passed away. I worked with him at Youth for Christ, and uh, he was only 56 years of age and has two children. Um, the youngest one's 15. And so I, th I think about people who've lost their fathers, and I also think about people who um, were not really sure about how to connect to their dad or maybe you didn't know your dad which was my story so I didn't grow up with my father I don't know my father at all and so today's a bit you know sometimes it can be great if you have a great relationship or loved your dad but if if there was other issues going on it can be a bit of a challenge so what I feel to do right now is actually a little bit of prayer so can we all stand together we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and minister what he wants to do today so just close your eyes. If, you, if you're not, don't normally come to church and you're visiting with us, we just shut our eyes just so we can focus on God and not, not actually um, be distracted, if you like. But 
it, there's nothing religious about closing your eyes. We're just focusing on God. And I just want to pray. Father, we call you that because you're our good, loving God. And Lord, all of us have a personal story about our own earthly fathers. And so I just pray that your spirit, your presence, Heavenly Father, that loving, sweet, tender, nurturing presence of God would fall upon this place right now, that we would hear from your heart of love. And Lord, that you would minister to all of us, speak to us, encourage us. May we encounter you with your love today, Lord. Regardless of what our story is with our earthly dads, may we encounter you today. I feel in my heart, just keep your eyes closed for a moment, but I feel in my heart to pray specifically for people who are estranged from their children. Now, I'm opening this up whether you're a a dad or a mum, but you don't have a really good relationship with your kids and whatever's happened, you don't see your children and today you're going to miss them terribly. I also feel to pray for single parents. You know, on Father's Day, I think of my mother, for example. She raised us on her own. She had four children. And whether you're, again, a mother or a father, if you're a single parent, you carry really the responsibility of both roles. And it's a challenge. It's difficult sometimes. It can be a lonely space sometimes. And so I want to pray for anyone who's a single parent today. I also want to I feel to pray for those who haven't had children, particularly the men. It's right that we often pray for women who want to have children. But we should never forget that there are men who want to have children and currently that's not been your story. So if that's if you relate to any of those three things that I've brought up, again with everyone just keep your eyes closed. Just want you to put your hand up for me. Just put your hand up. Keep your privacy. Just put your hand down. Thank you. Father, we just pray over all of these three. Lord, whether they're male or female, Lord, we pray, Lord, for your presence to enter into their story. Lord, you're a God that restores, delivers, heals. We've actually been singing to you, Father God, that you can move a mountain. You could change things, Lord. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, right into those estranged relationships that there would be healing and restoration that comes by your loving mercy. Grant them wisdom in how to engage and interact with their children. Lord, for those who haven't had children, I pray, Father God, that you would grant them the gift of having a child in Jesus' name. Lord, in faith, Lord, we know that you can make that possible. No matter what the physical reason is, you can restore and give them a child. And Father, I pray for every single parent in this place, part of our church or part of the wider community, Lord. Lord, grant them strength and courage as they parent their children. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Grab your seats. Thank you. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Charles and I actually had the incredible pleasure of interviewing um, a father and daughter. And we filmed that interview, which we're about to play for you now as a video. And uh, some of you know Rick Little, who's part of our church. He's spoken at one of our men's events. He's sitting right down the back there. I don't know if you always sit down the back there, Rick, but I can. you're standing out because you're a nice blue shirt, light blue shirt. But you're, you're going to see an amazing relationship between a father and daughter because, you know, sometimes just 
hearing um, a sermon doesn't capture what stories capture. It's a different way of connecting. And of course, some of you know that um, Rick actually has three children, but one of his children, Jade, is actually his only daughter. He has two sons and a daughter. Jade's part of our church as well. And so I'm just going to show you this little clip where they reveal a little bit about their personal story. And you'll hear some part of the last 12 months where there's been um, a little bit of a crisis and Jade's really had to lean into her dad. Um, And Rick is such a loving, caring father, as you'll see on the video. So just have a look at the screen. found in her um, loving and caring I, I just think of the way she cares for others she used to come to me with one of her friends were feeling down or something and she so she was concerned about it and she'd say you know we're gonna have to talk to so-and-so you know she's not has been real quiet lately and so just a caring heart and so that's what I um you know the other things that come into my mind yeah and that you know just a, and look at her she's a fantastic mum Dad, well, he's my best friend. He's um, kind, selfless, um, gives really good advice most of the time, always there for anyone. Um, yeah, he's just a, he's a great dad, great guy. He's loving, um, not only to us kids, but just to everyone. Once the daughter come along, you know, it's just beautiful and I was just melted and, uh, you know, uh, my, I remember when she was young and, you know, you'd give, you give um, mum a day off on the weekend when I was home or something, I'd prop her up in the bassinet and, um, and then she'd have a bottle and she'd just sit there and watch and she's just gorgeous and I just couldn't stop looking at her, I just making, breaking and look at her and she'd be smiling and that, but, you know, and that was, uh, they're, they're just amazing times at a young Probably Dad's the, one of the few people I can really tell how I'm feeling. Um, and, you know, he was there for me. He, he helped me, get, he encouraged me. He prayed for me. He helped me, um, you know, see things from a different light. When I was in a, you know, a state where I couldn't really see past, you know, the fear, anxiety. Um, some of the things, like I remember he'd, when I was going through radiation, he would write little scripture notes in the fridge every morning. So that, and that picked me up and I'd stick him on my pin board. I'd take him to my appointments. I had this bag full of like different things people have given me and um, just leaning to dad for that. And he'd just always have the right advice or the right calming word to say. Um, and sometimes it was nothing at all. Sometimes it was just a hug. He just, um, yeah, he was there. Just to be there constantly, and um, you know, you, yeah, I get a bit emotional. I start, <laughs> but yeah, just to be there. God as my father is 
Well, he's everything to me. Um, he's my counsellor, he's my um, encourager. You know, he, he just forgives when I muck up and just not only forgives, but he gives you a cuddle at the same time and says, it's all right, you know what I mean? And he, he's everything and it reminds me, you know, as you'd want to be as a father, you know, I'd love to talk about Mimic, I love to Mimic our father, because he does, he just, he delivers all the time and um, then it gives you a comfort and a peace about it. There to listen to your deepest thoughts and your deepest prayers, the ones that you, your dad can't, hear or listen to him, I don't even understand. Um, yeah, he's loving, caring. Like for me personally, he's helped me with my biggest fears and got me through the hardest times. Um, he's been there when I've cried out. I remember um, one time I was in my first appointment with my oncologist and I was so scared I was either gonna pass out or throw up. I remember in my head I cried out and I said, I think I said, I can't remember exactly, it was God help me or where are you? And I, a flash came into my head and he was kneeling beside me, like holding my hand, kneeling. And after that I was still scared and I still felt sick and it was horrible, but I, I just felt a sense of calmness, like I, I knew it was there. Um, and as much as, you know, that's as, as much as my dad would have wanted it to be there, but God, God's there when, you know, other people can't be. He's just, he's everywhere, always with me. Why don't you welcome Rick and Jade as they come up now and join me up here. Thanks, Jane. It's not easy when someone like uh, myself and Charles comes to you and says, oh, we'd like to film you having a discussion about your relationship. And uh, they did a very brave job and they didn't do it. They did an excellent job, didn't they? It was just such a natural way. So, yeah, put your hands together. We're going to thank them for... Yeah, come up, Laura. Come, come, right, come right in. Um, actually, I might invite the elders. Can the elders come up? We might pray, pray for them as a representation of uh, the father-child relationship. Um, all the elders come and join us. That'd be great. So, look, I just really wanted to thank you for allowing us to do that. Your story, you're crying. No, well, no you're all right. <laughs> uh, you got a cold, yeah. Your story's incredible because it's genuine. And um, I, I actually, I just want to encourage you, Jade. I, I really feel, you know, given the challenge of the last 12 months or so, God's, God knew way before and he gave you the dad that you needed. And sometimes, you know, I think for all of us, sometimes we don't realise that God sets things up years in advance because he knows what we're going to step through. And certainly, Rick, you, you've got such a sweet spirit about you as a dad and that came through to all of us today. And so, look, we've got some flowers for you, Jade, and we've also got some chocolates for Rick. We always give chocolates to men on Father's Day. But Charles, can you just come and pray, pray over them as a representation of all father-child relationships and if the elders can come round. Lord God, I thank you for these two beautiful people, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that in the midst of crisis, Lord, that they were an example of unity and of faith. And Lord, we thank you that uh, from this testimony, we see a great example of what we need to be, Lord God, as fathers and as children, Lord. 
What you desire, Lord, is relationship with us. And I love that Rick said, a father's desire is just to be there, Lord. And we thank you that you are like that for us. But Lord, we pray for these two now and their families that they represent. Lord, and we just speak blessing and continued blessing over their households, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that as we stand and we declare that as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, that there will be blessing, Lord God, unto each generation and generations to come. We speak blessing. We speak health. We speak unity. We speak strength. And we speak great times ahead. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Give them a big hand. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15. And some of you will know this very um, popular story that Jesus tells. It's a parable. So Luke chapter 15. And it's called the prodigal son. The problem is that common title misses Jesus' point of the story. In fact, the word prodigal doesn't appear in the Bible anywhere. Um, It's simply just a title that an editor has put on the top of that parable. Some theologians actually call this story um, the waiting father because it actually reveals something about God as our father. And one of the dilemmas that we face as humans is sometimes if we don't see God as a loving father, if we have a distorted view of who God is and what he expects of us, that's going to impact how we relate to God as our father. You cannot lean into someone who's not loving. So what do you do when someone's not loving? So if they're judgmental or, or critical, or what do you do when you've got a relationship with someone who's angry, or what do you do with... You've got a relationship with someone who's aloof or doesn't communicate or doesn't care. You can't lean into someone like that. There's no emotional connection. And really the way Jesus unpacks the story, which we often focus on the younger brother, who of course comes to his dad and asks for his share of the estate um, why his dad's still alive. So there's, 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 there's got so many layers in this story. You've got two brothers. The younger one wants to go on his own journey and do his own thing. Effectively, he's rebelling against his own father. And so he says, I want my share of the inheritance. Give me, give me a third of what, what's coming to me or give me a half. And he leaves and goes to a different land, Jesus says. And of course, he becomes, well, a degenerate. He's doing all the rebellious things that, well, some teenagers do. So he wants to live his own life. He's, he's squandering all his money. He's probably sleeping around. And, of course, you know the story. He ends up feeding pigs, which for a Jewish person, you can't touch a pig. Now, the reason why Jesus is telling this story is because the Pharisees have an accusation that Jesus is spending time with people like that but young boy. So the phrase, if you look at verses 1 and 2 in that chapter, Luke chapter 15, it says the Pharisees say he welcomes sinners, he even eats with them. Now what the Pharisees had done, they'd taken God's written law in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, they'd taken God's written law for the Jewish nation and they had made their own interpretations Theologically, they call it oral interpretations. They'd make these oral traditions. Sometimes Jesus uses that phrase. So they're not, they're not laws by God. 
It's an interpretive law from this group of religious leaders, but they enforced it on everybody else who was following God, their interpretation of what they thought, how do we follow God? So when they accuse Jesus, God's only son, I mean, you can get the whole narrative on Father's Day, you've got God in flesh, Jesus of Nazareth, standing there, and you have people that he's actually created accusing him of welcoming the degenerates and the sinners and even sharing meals with them, which in the Pharisaical tradition you could never do. So he tells three stories, and you'll know them as the lost coin, the lost sheep, and sometimes it's referred to the lost son, the prodigal son. But what Jesus is trying to, he's trying to retool or educate the Pharisees about the father. And we, we rightly highlight the story in the journey of the young son who eventually returns to his father. But it's actually the father's relationship with the young son and then the father's relationship with the older brother who does everything right but stays at home but doesn't really know his dad. That's the irony. So you can live with the Father. Now think of it from a Christian point of view. You can live with your heavenly Father so you can do all the religious things. Come to church, be part of a small group, read your Bible, tithe, pray. You can serve. You can do all that stuff and not even know your Father because that's what the Pharisees were doing. They had a distorted view of who God the Father was. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to tell the three stories back to back, which actually have the same thread, a party. We have a heavenly Father who throws parties for the undeserving. That's the point that Jesus is making here. He's not a right-wing, legalistic, judgmental, critical Father sitting on a throne judging every thought and action that we have. But that's the way the Pharisees saw him. So, of course, in the lost, the very first story, the lost sheep, when the shepherd finds the one sheep out of the hundred that went wandering, he calls his friends and throws them what? A big party. He says, come and celebrate with me. And then he goes to the next story where a woman loses one coin and she turns her house upside down and finally finds one coin. And what does she do? She throws a party. She calls her friends and says, come and celebrate with me. And then you get to this third story, three stories back to back, same point. When the younger son comes home, the father doesn't demand an explanation. He doesn't demand an apology. He doesn't make the son, he doesn't say to the son, well, you're going to have to prove yourself before you, you know, you get part back into this family. No, 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 no. He actually, you know, it's funny, if you read the story, the son's got this big speech in his head as he's travelling home because the son realised that the father had a character, a nature of true mercy and love and he'd be better off, get this, as a servant in his dad's house than where he was feeding pigs with no money. He was so hungry, he wanted to eat the pig food. And so when he gets home, the father doesn't wait for his speech. The son launches into this great speech. But of course, he says to, the father says to the hired servants in his house, let's throw a party. It's an extravagant party. Now, in, our, you know, in, in, the, in the Bible text, it says, he says to the servants, kill the fatted calf. Now, I don't know if you've ever killed the fatted calf. Anyone here ever killed a fatted calf? 
Well, in that culture, of course, you grew your own food. Uh, I've actually killed a number of sheep and butchered them, and it's a pretty messy process. Um, it's not something I practice every day. You're looking at me is like, oh, good night. <laughs> you do know I used to be a chef, but that, that's actually what used to be my life, so I had to learn butchery. And, and a friend of ours actually had a sheep farm, went and shot a few sheep, and we butchered the whole thing, skinned them. It's quite a messy process, but in that culture, that's, you, you had to throw your own parties. You couldn't go to Coles um, and swap your currants for raisins. You couldn't do that. You had to butcher your own thing. But here's the thing. It's the same point as the first two stories. Full of joy, let's throw a party. Now listen, if you're part of following God and you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, here's our problem. We can be like the Pharisees. Where we think God should be fair. Well, praise God, he's not fair. Because if he was fair, none of us would make it. Not one of us. And here's the problem that particularly when you've been part of church life for a long time, we have unwritten rules, we have unspoken expectations and we become the religious right, we become moralistic and so we, we have all these demands not just on God but this is the problem. If you have a distorted view of who God is, you distort your relationships with each other. Now you see that in the older brother. What happens to the older brother? Well, of course, what's interesting is here's the second part of the story and the punchline that Jesus is trying to, to explain to the Pharisees who have a... Dist- even though they think they know God, they don't know God as Father. And so, of course, the younger brother, he refuses to come in. He's heard that he's... Oh, sorry, the older brother refuses to come in. He's heard the younger brother's come home. He's heard the commotion. He's out there working for his dad. Now listen to me, Christians. We can be out there working for Dad. And then we hear someone else has got a party going on, but that person's only ever just come to faith. And this is the the spirit we've got to be careful of because you can work for your father. Now this is the issue. The older boy who lived with Dad, did the right things, who served his dad, listened to his words. You can read it towards the end of the parable. He says... I've done everything you've asked. I've never disobeyed an order. I've slaved for you. The trouble with language is it gives away your theology. See, he saw his father as a slave master, not as a dad. Now, it wasn't the dad's fault. I mean, the way Jesus unpacks this story, it's it's not as if the dad's done anything to set this up. And in fact, what, what floors me in the way Jesus unpacks this truth to help all of us make sure or check that we don't have a distorted view of our loving Heavenly Father, what floors me is the Father's actions towards both the sons is exactly the same. So he's waiting for the younger son and when he sees him in the distance, he runs to him, hugs him, They redress him in the fine clothes of the household, puts the family ring on the finger, which in that culture meant that he was um, a real son again, had the authority of every other family member, puts um, sandals on his feet and organised a party for his son. But the older brother, who lives with Dad but doesn't know Dad, is working for Dad in the field and won't come in. What does the father do? He goes out to him as well. And often we miss that. 
The father's response to both boys is exactly the same. But the older brother had a distorted view of God. So you can see the father is your enemy. You can see God as, you know, think about this, the creation story, Adam and Eve, and what was their first response when they had sinned? They thought God was out to get them and they hid. They saw God as their enemy. You can see Father as your Heavenly Father as irrelevant. Now, whether you're part of a church family or you have no idea what Christians really believe, this can be true for both of us. See, part of the issue in being disconnected to God and not being able to lean into God because of your distorted view of who God is, is you think God's irrelevant because you can't see him. Now we know in scripture the Bible talks about people who don't believe in Jesus that the, the enemy, Satan, has blinded their eyes. It says that in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. We expect that of people who don't have faith and haven't had an encounter with Jesus. That their eyes can't see who the Father really is, what the Father's really like. But for Christians we can have the same dilemma or distortion where we're actually in the Father's house regularly we, we might even talk to the Father in prayer. We might even read the Father's word when we get to the scriptures. We might even hear the Father's truth and life principles being unpacked in a church setting for all of our life. But every now and then we think he's irrelevant because we don't see him as he truly is. That was the older brother's problem. Thought his dad was a slave master and that's not what our heavenly father is. See, here's, the, here's the, really the point I'm trying to make here about your thoughts about God. You might think that theology, so your thinking about God, so what you believe in your head about God, whether he's there, not there, what he's like, which religion is, you know, has the real God, what, whatever your thoughts are, you might think that theology is not that important, that your thoughts are just random and they come and go. But in actual fact, your thinking about God dictates how you interact with him. And this is the issue that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about because they, they were proclaiming they knew God and they were enforcing their system of how you relate to God on the general population who came to their synagogue. But they didn't know God at all, even though they did all the religious stuff we do. So your theology is more important than you think it is. What, so this is, the way I this is the way I sort of understand it. What your belief in your head becomes felt theology in your heart. So whatever you think about God, whatever you convince yourself is true. So God really doesn't care. Why did God let this happen to me? If he was really a loving father, that would have never been the case. Whatever you tell yourself becomes a heart relational truth and who would want to lean into a father a loving heavenly father who all of a sudden gets angry or judgmental or criticizes us so jesus himself god's only son is unpacking not just for the pharisees two thousand years ago but for us today as we read his written word these words written down by luke who who, who knows this story is revealing to us a truth 
about God as Heavenly Father. You see, the Father had love and mercy and compassion for both his children. You know, the, the Westminster Catechism, anyone know the Westminster Catechism off by heart? Anyone know what it's not? You never heard Westminster Catechism? Yep, that's good, there's a few people. The first line is just really just a, an ancient church statement about belief. And the first line, so it used to be repeated particularly in Anglican churches over the centuries. The first sentence is, the whole duty of mankind is to know God and enjoy him forever. When's the last time you thought about God with the word enjoy in it? It's, it's spot on. I mean, those ancient Christians got that thought spot on because often we see not only teachings and parables but scriptures that reveal God as one who joys over us, who loves us so much he'll throw a party for us. And That's the point that Jesus is making here, that we have a joyful, loving God and even if we are undeserved of that compassion and mercy and that attention, that's the God that we have. That's who our Heavenly Father is. But if you don't think that's what the Heavenly Father's like, it's very hard to lean into Him. So really, what goes on in our head that we convince is true about God is eventually what ends up in our heart and how we relate to our God. So you've got two different brothers in this story. One totally undeserving, rebel, degenerate. You know, if, if some of us were his dad, we'd probably treat him a little bit different. Then we've got an older brother, get this, who was more lost than the one who took off because he didn't know his dad, but he lived with him. Every imaginal distortion about who the father really is was in that older boy even though he lived in the very same house. If you listen to the father's words at the end of the parable, he says to him, look at verse 31, My son, the father says, you've always been with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He's lost and he was found. We have a partying father. That's the sort of father we have. We don't think about God in those terms, but that's the sort of God we have, full of joy. He throws parties every time someone joins the family. And we better be careful we don't sit there and criticise like the older brother or refuse to join in like the older brother because that's a distorted view of the loving father. That same grace and love and mercy was given to you. That's the sort of father we have. He loves to celebrate. The whole duty of man is to know God and enjoy Him. Are you enjoying your relationship with God? Can you lean into your Heavenly Father, particularly in times of need and in crisis? That's what my Heavenly Father's like. Now, I didn't have an earthly father. I don't know personally my earthly dad. But I know my Heavenly Father, He just loves me. He rejoices over me. We're singing, the Bible says. He threw a party for me when I came back to His family. And I have to be very careful that my view of God as I serve, as I give myself to His cause, doesn't distort what I think of Him. But so do all of us. Because He's full of loving, compassion, mercy and grace. 
See, I think this is the great pious calamity that Christians face. You can be a Christian a long time and become very crusty. You can. Because you do a lot. You know, a lot of churches are run by volunteers. We serve in all different capacities. We all do different things. Um, different demands are put on us. Sometimes we get along with the other Christians in the group. Sometimes we don't. A whole lot of things go wrong. Some things go right. I mean, it's just like normal life. And so as we're rubbing up against each other, we have to be careful that if we carry a distorted view of our Heavenly Father, it will impact our relationship, not just with Him, but with one another. Felt theology is more important than your believed theology. Don't see life in terms of what's fair. Don't see God's kingdom in terms of not what's fair. None of us deserve his love and character. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you. It's Father's Day and we're going to release you to go. In fact, it's just as well Sean got an award today because he told me in the foyer before the service he's giving every dad a free coffee. So if you don't have to rush off, stay, Father's, and get yourself a free um, barista-made coffee. That's very, very good coffee. I want to finish with this. If you don't know what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus, so who is the Son of God and who is this Heavenly Father? But We've got a, a simple little gift for you. It's a Bible that contains the life story of Jesus and, and explains who our loving Heavenly Father is. We've also got a little booklet there on who is Jesus that explains a bit more about Jesus Christ. But if you felt today after hearing my words but also being a part of this whole service that you'd like to know more, there's no pressure. We're not going to hound you. We just want to give you this. If you want some help in knowing how to read the Bible or know what it's like to be a Christian, we will have some people who can sit down with you. But is there anybody that wants one of these today? Just put your hand up. Totally free, obligation. You don't have to come back to our church. Not asking you to join our church. We just want you to get to know Jesus. Is there anybody that would like one of these? Our hosts have got some right now, and they'll come and give you one. If you just pop your hand up, you can get one of those. So don't be afraid to do that. Or come and talk to myself or Charles after the service. Let me pray for you. Father, we just think of your incredible, loving relationship towards mankind. And none of us deserved the party that you threw for us. And so, Lord, I pray for all dads, all grandfathers, all fathers-to-be. Lord, I pray for every male who's part of this church family. Lord, that you would bless them, those that are fathering or grandfathering, that they would be full of your love and that their children and grandchildren can lean into them and experience the great love that you have for them. Help all of us as dads to be good parents and to lead our children in the way of a loving father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. We're going to finish with a song, so why don't you start clapping your hands. We band's going to start straight away. Let's finish with a song. Happy Father's Day to all. Sin and darkness, whose love is mine.
one stronger. 